Hi, I'm going to make some huge claims today. We're going to talk about the joy of knowing God. And I want to be really upfront with you. I'm going to make some outrageous claims about what it means to really know God. And do you know, we've gotten so used in uh, our culture in the West particularly, but I think all over the world, we've gotten so used to hearing big claims and just not really believing them. They kind of wash over us. So we might talk about the world's greatest cup of coffee or the best song ever written or the best movie that's ever been released. And we just hear that kind of hyperbole and don't really take it seriously. Well, I'm going to make some enormous claims today about what the Bible says knowing God actually means. And I want to ask you right from the beginning to put these things to the test because the Bible says that we can know God to an extraordinary degree, that we can hear his voice, that we can walk with him every single day of our lives. And I want to say to you, whoever you are, wherever you are, whenever you're hearing this message, right now God is with you, his eyes are on you, and he wants you to know him. Extraordinary claim. I, I go one further and say that getting this thing right could actually change your life. I'm going to go even further and say that this truth, that we can know God intimately as a father, a friend, uh, that his voice can become the most familiar voice that, you've, that you know day in and day out. I want to say to you that this is the very heart of the Christian gospel. Another big claim, I know. It's the very heart. It's the very reason that God made anything, the very reason that Jesus came and lived and died on the earth. Another big claim, I think this is the single thing that most Christians and most churches actually miss, misunderstand and forget along the way. Look, let me just share a bit of the Bible with you. Knowing God is uh, real. It's a real opportunity. It's also the very best experience any human being can have. And it's why Paul, the Apostle Paul, one of the most famous and influential men in the world, let alone church leaders, he wrote this to the church in Philippi. This is in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8. He said this, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He goes on to say, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. We'll look at the rest of that in a little while, but that, that statement that he makes, he considers every single thing in his life as loss, as garbage, next to the surpassing greatness of Jesus Christ. I want to say to you, I'm standing here as someone who's learning that for myself. I've got a life that is full of good things. I've got family, friends, uh, material comfort and all sorts of things. The very, very best thing, the most exciting thing, the most exhilarating thing, the most powerful thing in my life is that I know Jesus Christ. Everything else in comparison to that is loss and garbage. And I, I want to give you some foundational truth. We're going to look at what the Word of God says about knowing God and see that actually it pushes us to expect more, not less, in our relationship with God. And I want to show you that even in the world around us, are, it's just full of signs that God is real and that he wants you to know him. So big claims. I'm going to start, uh, I'm actually going to pray quickly uh, and then I'm going to start with some more big claims for us to process. And Father, I want to thank you that you have shown yourself uh, real to me. Lord, I didn't set out to look for you. Many people I know who are Christians didn't set out to look for you, but you found us. And Father, I pray that as we look together at these words, Lord, in your book, the Word of God, as we look at some of the truths in the Bible, as we look at the world that you've created around us, Lord, I pray that more and more we will see that you want to know us with all your heart, that you've made a way for anyone to know you, and that knowing you is the very, very best experience that any human being can have. Amen. Well, look, here's the first big claim. God 
really, really, really wants you to know him. He really does. There's this lie going around, I grew up believing it, that God is invisible and wants himself to be hidden away, that he's a trickster almost, not wanting people to find him or believe in him. I want to ask you, what's your view of human history? I've got a particular view of history that's now very shaped by the Bible. And what the Bible tells me about human history is that the whole of human history, from the first person, whether you're a Christian and believe in Adam and Eve, or you're an atheist, you believe in mitochondrial Eve, Human, the human race had its origins in a person. The Bible says that from that very first person, right up until the end of human history, God has one aim and intention, and it is relentless, and he doesn't give up on it, he doesn't stop. It is that he's made people to know him. He's made people to be in a relationship with him. He really, really, really loves people, and the very best thing for them he knows is to know him. So from Genesis, the first book in the Bible, all the way through to Revelation, it's the story of how God wants people to know him. He starts in Genesis by creating the world and and he makes some stuff really clear. He creates all sorts of things that we see around us, fish and plants and birds and all those kinds of things. But he creates them by speaking to the habitat that they grew up in. He speaks to the sea and says, may it be full of swimming things and all kinds of stuff like that. May the sky be full, let the sky be full of birds and all kinds of flying creatures. Let the earth be full of seed bearing plants and trees and all kinds of things. And then he says this extraordinary thing, let us make man in our own image. And what he's saying in that moment is that man's habitat, just as a fish is in water and birds uh, thrive in the air, man's habitat is to be God. We're meant to live in him, to know him, and to get all of our life experience from him. And all the way through to Revelation, you find in Revelation that God is going to, he's going to return, Jesus is going to return, he's going to establish a new heaven and a new earth, he's going to take up all the wickedness and the sin and the hurt and the pain that people have inflicted on one another, he's going to keep them all separate in a place called hell and establish this new heaven and new earth that anyone, even the smallest child, can conceive of, a place with no suffering and no death, and the purpose of it, so that we can live fully in his presence, that we'll never be apart from God and that God himself will be our habitation. It's the story of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the two beginning and the end point of human history, that's what it's all about. But actually, all the interim time of human history, the Bible as well, is, this, is story after story after story after story of God making himself known to human beings. He's not shy about it. He doesn't hide away. He's not running away from man. If, if anything, it is that we in our are choosing not to follow him, not to seek him, have gone the other way. Right from that first story where Adam and Eve hide themselves from God. Actually, man runs from God, but God has done everything in his power, as we'll see in a moment, considerable, considerable power to make himself known. The whole Bible is story after story of God loving people, speaking, revealing himself, and leading people to know him more and more. I want to tell you something really important. Christian truth, biblical truth, is it's inherently personal, not propositional. What that means is that anytime you start to look at the Bible as pure information or talk about God in an informational way, it's got some value and some merit, but you're missing the most important thing of all, which is that truth is personal. Jesus even said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the invitation of Christianity, even right now as I'm speaking, is to move beyond just information about God and knowing about God to knowing him yourself. He has spoken throughout history. He wants to speak to you right now. And you know, anytime we spend uh, too long thinking about Christianity or church life or faith in a purely informational or propositional sense, we've ripped the heart out of Christianity because God 
wants people to know him. You see it throughout the word. There's not one bit of the Bible. There's even a book where God's name is not mentioned, but the whole thing is part of the story of God creating people primarily to know him and to grow and thrive in his love, in relationship with him. Do you know we see it in the world as well? There's this, again, the part of the world I live in, there's this narrative that God isn't real. He's the flying spaghetti monster and all these kinds of things that people say about him. But actually, I've learned more and more as I look into science. I've got friends involved in all sorts of levels of um, tech and science, and I do quite a bit of reading myself. But as I look into science, even in the media and the news, newspapers nowadays, you see more and more clear evidence that something is going on. God is... God is the very best answer for all of the scientific questions that are going on at the moment. It says in Romans chapter 1 that people are without excuse because God's invisible qualities, his power and his wisdom, they're seen in all that he has made. They're seen, clearly seen and understood from what he's made, his divine nature and his eternal power. I want to say, you can see it in the stories, of, uh, in the news around at the moment. There's this hunt for dark matter. They call it the God particle. Basically, the maths, the physics and the maths says that there is something holding the universe together because everything we can see and read with our, uh, our, our um, instruments says that it shouldn't hold together the way it does. So they, they look for the God particle or the, the, um, the dark matter that's holding everything together. They can't see it, but maths says it must be there. Well, I read Hebrews 1.3 and it says that all things in the universe are held together and sustained by God's, by Jesus' powerful word. When you look at evolution, there's plenty of evidence for microevolution that species change. Human beings have gotten taller or fatter or whatever they've gotten over the years and different species change. There's no evidence, substantial evidence at all for macroevolution. For one species, the missing link that we look for between monkeys and humans, there are missing links everywhere. There is no evidence for macroevolution. No evidence for one species becoming another. And you have 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul says all flesh is not the same. Fish have one type and birds another and humans another. It's why we can't breed with those animals. It's, everything that God says in his word is matched up by what the Bible says. Even some of the other detail I see around me like courts and laws and discussion and debate and war all rooted in different people thinking this is right and this is wrong and all rooted in the story of Genesis where we took this fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil inside us and each of us does what we think is right in our own eyes we need police and courts we need signs and speeding things telling you what speed to use and no entry here and come at this time on shops even in your office you'll have things around don't use the stapler and wash up after you've gone we put the law everywhere because we each of us do what what seems right in our own eyes everything that the bible tells me about people and god shows me that he's real that his invisible qualities really can be seen in the world around me and do you know here's a here's a particularly uh, western scientific debate that's going on at the moment god is so clearly seen in the world around us um, but so uh, people have chosen so willfully to disbelieve in him that there are two stories going around around tech at the moment. One of them is that our, our artificial intelligence is developing at such a high speed and such a rate that very soon we're likely, you know, got Stephen Hawkins, Elon Musk, these luminaries saying this, we're likely to create an artificial intelligence that has, intelligence that has godlike powers. It's going to be more powerful than us. It might even destroy us. That's one end of the spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum, people are saying that our tech, our virtual reality, even video game software, everything, Elon Musk, again, these great scientific minds saying that, that tech has advanced so far, so quickly, 
that it's more likely that we're living in some kind of matrix simulation created by a higher power or an advanced civilization than not. So just, just take that for a moment. People who don't believe that God created the world are believing that we might create God through artificial intelligence or that some other godlike being or civilization has created a world for us to live in. All of this is because God is not hidden. He's not hiding. He wants to be found. He wants to be known. You look at the word of God and you look at the world around you. And I want to say, if you examine your own life with honesty, you'll see that God has been a part of your thought life and your discussions and your experience since the day you started thinking and can remember those thoughts. God is not looking to be hidden. He's not hiding away. He's not playing tricks. He wants to be known and he's done everything he can to make it possible. And here's the second huge claim I want to make. And I I want to say it again. The first claim is that you can know him right now, even as I'm speaking. You can seek him and find him. If you seek him with all your heart, Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah 33, Matthew 7. If you seek God right now with all your heart, if you say to him, I want to know you, you will find him. He is not hiding. He's not playing tricks. Anyone that's alive today is alive because God loves them and wants wants them to know him. Here's the second big claim. God has made a perfect way for anybody to come to know him. He's paid an extraordinary price for this. I I use the word extraordinary. Do you know, when you read the Bible, when you watch the news, and when you examine your own life, the lengths that we go to reject God and do things our way and not listen to him, uh, not follow him, not even take the time to find out whether he's real. I'm talking about my own life before he found me, but, but human history as well. The lengths we will go to do evil and do our own thing even if it hurts other people, are extraordinary. The, the, the fact that God hasn't given up on human beings, whether it was Adam, uh, Noah, Noah was spared the flood, but then his first act after he built an altar of thanks was to get drunk and pass out naked so that his sons had to cover him. You've got Abraham, this great man of faith, who also lied twice about his wife being his sister and put her in an awkward spot. You've got um, King David, who's a man after God's own heart, but actually was an adulterer and a murderer. Paul was a killer of Christians. The disciples were pretty useless till the Holy Spirit arrived. All through history, secular history if you want to call it that as well, the wars and and different kingdoms that people have built at the expense of other people, and even my own life, your own life, our rejection of God has been extraordinary. And the fact that God hasn't uh, wiped us out, struck us with lightning or anything like that is equally extraordinary. There's grace in it. What, What all our failure shows us is that we cannot be God. We can't be as good as God. We, even, even the ideas of God that we have, no human being can ever live up to those standards. And you know, I used to think that Jesus Christ, when I was first coming into faith, starting to ask questions and understand about Jesus, I thought Jesus was like God's X plan or Y plan or Z plan. It's like his last plan. He's tried everything else. He's tried the flood. He's tried the Israelites. He's tried the disciples. Well, the disciples came after Jesus. But he's tried all of these different different ways to get people to know him and to experience his love and to live in him and none of it worked so in the end he had to send his son Jesus there's a parable Jesus uh, tells about the vineyard that makes it even sound like that that this was God's last plan and if this didn't work well there's no hope but what I've learned actually is that Jesus was God's always plan Always God's plan. It was, it was the forever plan, if you like. You can read in Revelation 13 that Jesus is the Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. And you can read in Ephesians 1 that God always intended, before he made a single atom, 
He always intended to bring everything in heaven and earth together under one head, even Jesus Christ. It's always, always, always his plan to give Jesus as a sacrifice so that we could know him for ourselves. Why did he do it? The most famous verse in the, in the whole world probably is John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It was for love. It was for love for every single individual. And God's hope, can you believe that God has a hope for you? God's hope that you would know him every day of your life and find in him the father that you always wanted, the friend that you always wanted. It is for anybody. It's for anybody. It says in that most famous verse, you could write a book on that verse alone. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus. But here's the word I want you to focus on. That whoever believes in him. What God did in Jesus Christ has made a way for anybody, regardless of who you are, where you were born, what you have or don't have, and even more, regardless of what you have done in your life or even what you might be doing today. He has made a way for anybody to know him and be in relationship with him. I want to tell you again, even right now, let me give you another, another key to unlocking this in your life. Even right now, if you will call on the name of Jesus, just whisper it on your lips, say Jesus, and call on him. The promise of the Bible, this huge claim that you can test today is that whoever calls on the, on the name of the Lord will be saved and whoever calls on the name of the Lord will never ever be turned away. You will find him if you call on the, the name of Jesus. Just consider the Bible story again from this perspective. God made people in his image and gave us freedom and power over one another and over the earth. You know, again, back in the Genesis story, God says, Sub have dominion over all the earth and subdue it and lead it and rule it. And you fast forward to 2000 plus AD where actually we've got... Um, We've conquered the seas with ships and submarines. We've conquered the air with aeroplanes and all kinds of things. We've conquered the earth by transforming it with cement and roads and all sorts of things. Everything God promised for human beings has been fulfilled through human history. We have tremendous agency and free will and power and yet we've turned it all to selfish reasons. We talk about what this nation invented and that nation invented. The human race has invented some great things, but we've also invented things like murder and child abuse and exploitation and all this corruption and everything else. Human beings did that with the agency and power that God gave us. And God's response is to become one of us. It says in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus Christ, being equal with God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He knew he was with God. You read a similar sentiment in John 13. He knew, it says Jesus was with his disciples. He knew that he'd come from the Father, was going back to the Father, and that the Father had put all things under his feet. And knowing that, he took off his robe, his outer robe, and he washed his disciples' feet. Philippians 2 says that being in very nature God, he didn't consider equality. Being in very nature God, he was God. He is God. He always will be God. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Instead, he made himself a servant. He made himself, in fact, the lowest human being of all. He became a man. This, even, even for God to become a man, I've got a Muslim family, I've got Muslim friends. The idea of God becoming a man is unthinkable. And yet he did it for love. He's still a man. He didn't just become an avatar or something. If you read in Timothy, it says there is one God and one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. He's still a man. He's one of us. And it was always God's plan. You know, Jesus says that he is the light of the world in John chapter 8. And when you start to understand that, 
and you start to see that he really did illuminate the, the world. He sh- shone a light on God's grace and God's love and also our wickedness. And you see that God's very first words in Genesis chapter 1, the first words recorded in the Bible are, let there be light. You see that God's plan was always, always to give Jesus to people so that we could know him. And I want to tell you, uh, just take a moment, it, it cost God tremendously to do that. There's this um, lie going around with uh, atheist circles at the moment. You can read about it on the internet that Jesus, if he was really God, he didn't die for our sins. He just took the weekend off because he knew he was going to be risen again. I want to tell you that is so far from the truth. It's a lie from hell or wherever you want to call it. It's so far from the truth. It cost Jesus everything to die for us. This This is God himself, the Son of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, perfectly happy in trinity and in eternal existence, creating mankind, knowing that one day he will become a man himself. He will shed all the glory and peace and joy of heaven, still God on earth, but choosing to live as a human being, to grow as a boy, as a young man, to face all that human beings faced. And you know, he really died on the cross. He died physically, but also in some unfathomable sense he died spiritually as well 2 Corinthians 5 21 says this is what happened on the cross God made him Jesus who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God do you know it took true courage and love for Jesus to do what he did he gave up the the safety of heaven to become a man he, as a man, he made himself the least of all. He suffered every type of bullying and rejection and physical abuse. Had his beard ripped out. He was whipped. He was mocked. Mocked publicly. And he laid himself down on a cross and took nails in his feet and hands. For us, dying physically, but also somehow dying spiritually as well. He became sin. His whole life, before he was a man in eternity and then on the earth, his whole life was about the joy of knowing God, his Father. He lived constantly in his presence. He said, I can't do anything by myself, John 5, 19 and 20, but I only do what I see the Father doing. His whole life was unbroken communication, communion, and the presence of his Father, the love of his Father. His whole life was that until the moment he became sin on the cross. And he cried out this thing, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? People say that he's quoting Psalm 22. Partly that's true, partly Psalm 22, hundreds of years before Jesus even lived, was prophetically quoting what the Son of God would say when in the moment of his greatest need on the cross, he was cut off from knowing God his Father and he was forsaken. And he, and he dived into death. Do you know, even last week, I'll talk to you a little bit before I finish in a moment about some of the ways God speaks But you can, because of Jesus doing this, whoever you are, if you believe in him, you can know him as your father. You can have him speak to you in detail about your life and his life and his plans. And he'll show you extraordinary things. Jeremiah 33.3 says, says, call on me and I'll answer you and I will show you mysteries that you have not known. And more and more I'm hearing God's voice because Jesus died for me, because I'm understanding that by doing the unthinkable, the impossible, God has won the impossible for me, that I can be a friend of his, I can be a son of God, I can hear his voice at any moment. And I'm hearing, I believe, God's voice more than any other person's voice at the moment in my life. And it's 
glorious. It's amazing. Anyway, I'm, I was in a, a conference in Manchester last week. I'm singing songs to God. I'm praying. I'm worshipping him. And I had this extraordinary sensation of almost seeing and feeling something, some tiny bit. There's no way I could experience what Jesus experienced on the cross. But there was something he shared with me because I know him and he wants me to know more about him where I just got this sense of what Jesus was seeing from the cross. I saw um, green fields and people down below and I was up high. He was up high. I was seeing something of what he saw and there was color and people all around. But what was most powerful and shocking for me was I, I got this sense of Jesus bracing himself and preparing himself for the darkness that was going to come and engulf him. Death was coming. Sin was coming. And it was going to cut him off from his father that he had known for all eternity. And since he could take his first steps and have his first thoughts as a human being. Jesus, the son of God, bracing himself, being courageous and fully plunging himself into death. Trusting only that God the father would raise him through the spirit of God later on. I felt some tiny bit of what it cost Jesus in that moment. And how fully he gave himself to this for love. And it was extraordinary. I, I, I want to tell you that because Jesus died, whoever believes in him, whoever you are, wherever you are, whenever you're hearing this, right now, if you know him, you can expect more. And this is where I'm going to finish in a moment. But if you don't know him, you can know him today. I want to tell you, the thing that will stop you knowing God is your sin. It's the things you say, think, and do wrong. But Jesus' death, the way he died... The way he died gives us such hope because I want to tell you this. Take a moment just to think of the very worst sin you've ever committed. The, even if you don't use the language of sin, the thing you've done that you're most ashamed of in your life. For some of you, it might even be really fresh and recent. You might still be carrying the pain of it. Think about the thing you're most ashamed of in your life. The thing you think, I don't want anyone to know about that. If anybody knew, or surely God can't even forgive me. And I want to tell you, when you think about that and you put it next to the death of Jesus Christ, you'll see something extraordinary because the worst day of human history, the blackest day of human history, the worst sin in all our repertoire of sins was the day that we murdered Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus was perfectly pure, lovely, gentle, kind, compassionate. He didn't think, say or do anything wrong because he was always speaking to his father or listening to his father or doing what his father said in the power of the Holy Spirit. He was God on earth perfect in all his ways and God gave his son his one and only beloved son to us and we beat him and we murdered him and I tell you of all the stuff we've done as human beings that should have been the day that God pulled the plug and said enough no more I will not bear with human beings anymore that was the the day that our sin was blackest where we murdered God it's extraordinary and what has God done instead not just not just allowed us to do that, but he said, I will turn that blackest day, your worst sin, your worst shame, when you murdered my son, I will make that your brightest hope of ever knowing me. It's extraordinary. We as Christians celebrate the death and the murder of our, of our Lord, our Savior, our friend. I tell you, it can become intensely personal when you know him. I've wept at what Jesus has done for me. And when you get a sense of what he's done for you, it becomes incredibly personal. But the grace of God to take that worst sin 
and say, not only will I forgive it, Jesus even on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Not even just to forgive it, but to turn it into your very brightest hope. The worst day of human history. God says, in my love and power, my grace, my commitment to allowing people to know me, I will make that worst day the very best day in human history because it's the day that Jesus declared it is finished. And anything you think will stop you from hearing God's voice or receiving his love was dealt with on that cross on that day. It's extraordinary grace, extraordinary grace. And I want to tell you, when you start to see God at work in the world around you and you start to see signs of his invisible qualities, his divine power and all these things, his wisdom in the world, you'll start to see even in more detail the story of the cross and Jesus Christ. Everywhere you go, you'll see it. God is not invisible. Even in a practical sense, there's no one more famous than Jesus. He, he's got such a weird life by human standards, invisible for 30 years, then three years saying that he is God, doing some miracles as many other gurus and religious leaders, spiritual leaders have done throughout human history. Jesus does three years of miracles in in a Roman oppression. He's a Jewish person uh, and declares that he's God as well and he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. And for his pains, he's crucified by the ruling powers of the day. Uh, that's from a human sense that's Jesus's life it shouldn't amount to a man who's had more written and sung and painted about him than any other human in the world it shouldn't amount to a man that every religion wants a piece of they all want to claim Jesus as their own whoever whichever religion you speak to they'll have a version of his story it shouldn't amount to a man who was so famous that we split history for his birth and that every one of us counts the year we were born from him If you're born in 2017, 2018, 2019, you're that many years from Jesus' birth. He's so extraordinarily famous. You'll see the story of his death and resurrection written throughout the world as well. John 12, Jesus said, unless a seed or a grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains a seed. But if it dies, it comes to, it brings a crop of hundreds and thousands of seeds and much. He's talking about himself, clearly. But it takes on another dimension when you realize that God invented seeds and acorns and this cycle of life where the thing has to die in the ground for the tree to sprout, to produce more. He, he created the world like that, those seed-bearing plants in Genesis, to teach people the story of the resurrection, the death, the life, the death, the resurrection of his son, Jesus. When you read Psalm 19 and it says, the heavens declare the glory of God and day after day they pour forth speech. There's no nation, there's no place under the earth uh, in the earth where their speech is not understood and you can think on one level yeah the skies are glorious they have every color in them they change all the time it's like a massive tv screen showing all this wondrous beautiful stuff there's like the eight wonders of the world have nothing on the sky there's truth in that but there's even more truth in the fact that every night all over the world the sun from our perspective is overcome by darkness There's nothing in physics that says light is ever defeated by darkness. And yet daily, played out in the sky over every nation, the sun is is destroyed and overwhelmed by darkness, only to be resurrected every morning. And Malachi talks about the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings about Jesus. I want to tell you that every sunset, every sunrise, God is telling the world, believe in my son who died for you and rose again so that you can know me. It's extraordinary. In the word of God, in the world around us, and in your own life, God's invisible qualities are hidden in plain sight and he wants you to know him. And here's what I just want to leave you with right at the end. I could talk about this for ages. This joy of knowing God personally for me and for the people I know and love has become the greatest joy 
that I could possibly imagine. Here's the last big claim for you. The experience of knowing God is more amazing than anything you could have dreamt up yourself, anything you could imagine. In fact, I'm even going to ask you, wherever you are right now, to think your very best thoughts. What would it mean to have God who has unlimited power and wisdom and resource, God who created and sustains and holds the universe in his hands, if, if he was really your friend and your father and your protector and your guide and your comforter, what would that feel like to you? What would you want it to look like? How, would, how often would you want to be able to meet with him? How often would you want to be able to hear his voice? How attentive would he be to your needs? I want to tell you, whatever your best thoughts about God are, the New Testament knocks them out of the park, knocks them for six, it destroys them and says, whatever you're believing in God, the truth is so much better. It's an extraordinary claim to make, but I want to make it. I want to tell you that where Jesus says you can know his voice, it's true. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. Where, God, where Jesus was asked by his disciples, how should we pray? And he said, pray our father. He really wants to be your father. And he's not a bad father. He's not an absent father. I, I worked in years for youth offending with youth offending, with young people who didn't have dads. And there is nothing on earth that would substitute them not having a dad. They had great mums, many of them, but they didn't have a dad. And I could, I could write a, a book, Letters from Your Father, and try and give them words like the Bible would be if God wasn't real. And it would make no difference to their life at all. But when I started to act like a father and love them, something shifted in their hearts and they changed. And when God says, when Jesus says, pray our father, your expectations of what it means to have God as your father need to be very high indeed. I, I try and be a good dad by the grace of God. And there are times where I'm too caught up in my work or my phone to give my kids. It's not that I worship them or I want to revolt. Life doesn't revolve around my children, but I love them with all my heart. And if they come and ask me something, I want to listen and hear and respond with love. And sometimes I don't because I'm distracted or, and they have to ask again and again. Well, God is not like that. And I say, put him to the test. If you call on him, he is your father. He will respond very, very quickly. I want to tell you that where the Bible seems to put these impossible things before you in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. I want to tell you that what, what if, you, if you think about that in an inform, informational sense, if you think about yourself praying empty, one-sided prayers to God, it's impossible to pray without ceasing, not without going mad. Or people thinking you're mad. But if you will learn to practice his presence, listen to his voice, and expect him to speak all the time, you'll find he will. This is our invitation. The Bible says in Hebrews 10 that we can boldly go into the most holy place. It's referencing the temple where nobody could go except the high priest once a year because God was there. The Bible says that in Jesus Christ you can seek and get an audience with God Anytime you want. He will hear you. you. You can seek his face, Psalm 27. You can get a sense of his love for you, Psalm 34. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You're meant to experience him. His voice, his love, his eyes, his heart. I want to tell you the new covenant knocks the Old Testament. It stands for what it is. It teaches us so much about God's heart. The New Testament says all of this is yours in Christ right now. Where the Old Covenant, the Old Testament says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard. This is Isaiah 64. No mind has conceived of the things that God has in store for those who love him. In the New Testament, Paul writes, 
what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no mind has conceived, the very things that God has in store for those who love him. These are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. I want to tell you that nothing is impossible for God and nothing is off limits for you if you are in God. It's not that we should sin loads because he loves us. Paul even writes that in Romans 6. He said, because God loves you so much, he's made you his, he loves you even if you get it wrong. He says, what then? Should we sin more so that grace might abound? By no means. No, it's not an excuse to do what you want. It's an invitation to know God so closely. I'll say it again, a huge claim. You can test it. And my prayer is that you grow into it, that his voice becomes the the most frequent voice that you hear, the most familiar voice that you hear, the most beloved voice. And I want to tell you, I said this is right at the heart of Christianity. If you will make this practice of his presence and this seeking his face and seeking his voice, loving him with all your heart, soul and strength, Jesus said was the greatest commandment in Deuteronomy 6.5. You love him by looking for him and finding him in every moment. If you'll learn from Jesus who said, I can do nothing by myself, but I only do what I see the Father doing. And you stop trying to do life on your own and say, Father, I need to see you moment by moment what you're doing. I need to hear your voice. This is all the Bible saying, this is the way, walk in it. I need you to guide me and lead me and correct me, Hebrews 12. I need you to be a living father with me, not to leave me as an orphan. This is all the Bible. If you'll believe this and make this your moment by moment practice, your life will change because you'll be in him and you'll know him and he will fill you with such life and joy that it will overflow to the lives of everyone around you. If you want to make disciples, if you want to know what your calling is in life, if you want to know who you are and what you're called to do, you need to practice his presence and you need to throw yourself into the joy of knowing him. It is his greatest delight and he wants it to be yours as well. Let me pray for you. Father, I... um, I just want to pray for your church all over the world, Lord. The, the thing you've been saying to human beings since you made the first one is, I love you and I want to prosper you and honor you and bless you. And I'll do all of that by being your father and your friend, your habitation, your constant companion, your light. And Father, the church, Lord, Christians all over the world have this great and glorious invitation, Father, to know you the way Jesus knew you on earth. There's nothing that can separate us from your love, nothing that can block our ears from your voice, nothing that can stop our eyes from seeing what you're doing. If we will only, Lord, trust you, trust that Jesus on the cross paid for everything and dealt with everything that might stop us knowing you, that there's an open road, an open way, an open door for us to come into your presence and hear from you and be loved by you at every moment of our lives. Father, I pray for anyone listening Lord, that this will become their living reality and that your joy will be our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.